And let's look at this upper room scene at the Passover. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to the disciples. And he said to them, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup, and he gave thanks. And he gave it to them, saying, Drink ye of all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look at this just short and condensed text here out of the whole story, Father God, I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds. I pray, Lord, that you would speak to us and show us uh, how we are to apply this to our Christian life, how we are to live out the truth that we find in this story out of the Gospel of Matthew. Lord, I pray for your help as, as I teach this word, Lord, that I wouldn't get in the way of your spirit, that, that you would just have free course within us this morning. God, that you would speak to us. And Lord, not just so we can think and say, well, you know, that was a, you know, an entertaining message. It, it took up, helped us, you know, to worship a little bit in this hour. And then, and then we just walk out these doors and not think about it anymore. God, I pray that doesn't happen. I pray that it would change us and it would help us to live for Jesus. And that it would do something in our life that, that brings more of the resemblance of our Savior into our life, that we would look more like you, Christ, from the work that you do in this text. Lord, I pray for your anointing and your power upon us as a church. Oh, God, that we really, truly can hear your voice through the text. In Christ's name, amen. As I said earlier this morning on Thursday, I had the great blessing and privilege of going out with this, with this group from, from Texas. And, um, you know, my personality is I'm not great at just walking up to strangers and saying, yo, can I talk to Jesus with you? Can, can I share about God? You know, you are going to hell, so you need to know the truth. I'm not, I, I, I'm not good at that, amen? I don't think anybody really is. But when I heard that I had the opportunity to meet up with these guys a few weeks ago, I was really looking forward to it. And I tell you, it was a blessing beyond anything I could ever imagine being out on the streets around our church, just sharing the gospel and taking a little survey. And what we were doing, we'd kind of walk and mostly Matt would start it and as my typical fashion I jumped in because I, I I hear some stuff and I start talking and 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 you know and one of the guys I knew uh, because I did his grandfather's funeral about a month or so ago and it just a different things and met one lady who who lived had moved down here from Leicester while I worked in Market Harbor, which is 15 minutes south of Leicester. And I said, oh, you know Market Harbor. She goes, you know Harbor? I said, yeah, I know Harbor. I worked in Harbor. And I, I lived in Corby. And so that was, we were able to kind of connect there. And, and so it was just a, a, a great time. But as Jared was asking the questions from the survey, you know, he'd ask things like, 
you know, just answer positive or negative. Just say positive or negative to the things I'm going to ask you. Uh, uh, UK's involvement in the Syrian refugee crisis, and they'd say positive or negative. Um, what do you think about religion, positive or negative? What do you think about Christians, positive or negative? Negative Buddhists, uh, Muslims, etc. There was one question, though, that, that just utterly intrigued me every time he asked it. Because typically the answer was negative. And the question was, Jesus. What, when I ask you this question, you know, say this statement, say positive or negative. Most of the answers that came back about Jesus were the answer negative. And I kept walking away thinking, why in the world would it be negative? Religion's negative. Jesus is negative. Christians were positive. Muslims were positive. Buddhists were positive. But Jesus was negative. And and I'm just like, what is going on here? And the only thing I could really think of is maybe two things. One, the reality is they really don't know who Jesus is. And number two, They've probably met some, some people who might call themselves Christians or whatever, and have had a negative experience from them. And, you, and, and when you read this story about Jesus in the upper room and, and, and the, the Passover, really, you know what we usually focus on? We focus on, well, this is where we have the institution of the Lord's Supper or Communion. You know, throughout the Gospels, this story right here, this is how we kind of mainly focus on it about. But you know, there's so much more to that little story that we read. Just those few verses that we read this morning uh, about that, that Passover, about the, the institution of the Lord's Supper. There's so much more to that. It actually explains who Christ is and what He's done for us in our life today. Listen, it all started that night, Jesus will soon be captured. Peter is just shortly, moments really, away from denying the Savior three times. In, that, in, the, in the, the next morning, he will be mocked, tried, bound, delivered to Pilate, sent to Herod, beaten by the soldiers, Mocked, blasphemed, the crowd's voices are starting even now to probably uh, start murmuring up, crucify him, crucify him, away with this man. We don't want him. Release to us the murderer Barabbas. They will take him then and strap that beam to his body, march him out to Golgotha, nail him to the rest of that tree. The soldiers will drop that cross into the ground. His body will shudder with the, with the weight and agony of when it hits the bottom of that hole and, and he will suffer there for hours and eventually die. But this is the night that Jesus, for the last time, will participate in the Passover, the cedar meal, the remembrance with his disciples of God's redemption uh, of, of the Israelite people from Egypt. The feast, this is the feast where they, they remember the salvation of the Lord. That they remember how God with a, with a strong arm brought the Israelites out of Egypt. 
how God sanctified them, how God gave them hope, how God gave them redemption, how, how God gave them uh, salvation from, from those people. That, that Passover meal, that's what that was all about. See, when you and I as Gentile believers, we read that story, we don't see necessarily all that the Jewish people see, especially even now a Messianic believer. Because they can take that Old Testament story and the history and the culture of the Passover and couple it with that new covenant, the, 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 the truth that Christ is the Messiah, that Jesus has come. And he's brought that together and they can see that with their eyes and, and understand it with their heart and their mind. And I want to take you this morning into that story so that you can see who Christ is this morning. The Lord's Supper. Our text finds Jesus and his disciples already in the midst of the meal. See, I think a lot of times we, as Gentiles, we, we just kind of think, you know, Passover, Jesus got up in the upper room, took out some matzah bread, that flat bread, the unleavened bread, gave it to the, the, the disciples, then took the cup and gave that to them, and that was all. But this was an entire formal kind of celebration. There was a lot going on here. See, this is, this is where Christ instituted the, the Lord's Supper, what we call communion for believers. You know, we get that out of the different Gospels. In Luke it says, I've been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. For I tell you now that I won't eat it again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And then Jesus took a cup of uh, the fruit of the vine and gave thanks to God for it. And then he said, take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. And he took some bread and he gave thanks to God for it, and then he broke it in pieces and gave to the disciples, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. When we read these texts in the Gospels about the Lord's Supper, that's our focus. These are to tell us to do it, to hold this, this, this ceremony, this Lord's Supper, so we can remember what Christ has done for us. And I praise the Lord for that. We're going to do this next month, in the middle of the month. We're going to have the Lord's Supper communion here again at our church. And we're going to celebrate that. We're going to remember what Christ has done for us. Even Paul, in his, in his letters, he told the Corinthian church, this do... As often as you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. He's quote, quoting Christ. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Do it in remembrance of me. Remembrance of his sacrifice, of the shame, the dehumanizing of Christ, the suffering that he went through, the wrath of God that was poured out on Jesus for the sins of, of the world. That he paid for the sins of mankind. But more importantly, that he paid for your sins. Your sins individually. Not just the world's, but my sin and your sin. What a vivid reminder this will be. When, after Christ re returns, he, he's paid for man's sin. He's ascended up into heaven. 
And now the disciples, his, their Savior's gone, and they will do this in remembrance of what Christ has done. That will keep them connected. That will help them remember. That will encourage them in their faith. But can I tell you, beloved, this morning, it is not only a reminder of what he has done, but it is a reminder of what is still to come. I think sometimes we read these stories and we read about what Christ has done. And because we read it from an English understanding, a Gentile understanding, we don't really see the immense beauty, truth, and power that is held in these texts. You see, they were in the midst of this Passover meal. And it was at this point in that Passover meal that Jesus takes the cup. It was one of four cups that they would normally drink from. Not four individual cups, but that they would have a cup. And they would put the wine in it. And then they would pass it and they'd drink from it as part of that uh, Passover meal. And when that section was done, then they would put some more in it. And they would fill it and they would drink it again. And they would continue to do this four times. They would have a cup that is passed throughout the, the people during this Passover meal. The first cup would have been the cup of sanctification. Then would come the cup of deliverance. And then the cup of redemption. And then the cup of praise. We get this all from the text in Exodus chapter 6. In Exodus it says, Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. That's the cup of sanctification separating them out. Then it says, I will rescue you from their bondage. That would, that would be represented by the cup of deliverance. And they would think about how God rescued them out of the bondage. And then it says, I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. That would be represented by the cup of redemption. And then it says, I will take you as my people and I will be your God. That would be the cup of hope or the cup of praise. And then, then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. This was what they were celebrating in that upper room. But right in the midst of that Passover celebration, Jesus stops them. And he stops them at the third cup. And this is where I get very excited because they might not see it now, the disciples, Peter, James, John, and all the guys there. But later on, they'll, they'll draw this picture and they'll see the truth of it. And I can bring that truth to us as a church this morning. You see, they, they, they're in this presentation of the, of the Passover meal. And Christ at this third cup, the cup of redemption. And it's where he would say, this is the place where they would remember, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. This cup of redemption, as they would drink it, they would think about how God redeemed, how God brought out his people, how God purchased them from the Egyptians and the bondage and the turmoil and the, and the, and the burden that they were under. And these are the words that Jesus says to them as he holds that third cup, the redemption cup, and, he, and he's quoting out of Exodus and, and they're remembering that. He then says, this is my blood, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Connect that with, I will bring you out from under the burdens 
of the Egyptians. The cup of redemption. What Christ is saying, that he is saying, I am redemption. I am your cup of redemption. You don't have to drink that cup to remember now what God did for for the Israelite people bringing them out of the bondage of Egypt. Now I want you to think about the cup of redemption that I'm giving to you. That I am going to redeem you from the burden and the bondage of sins. Oh, I get so excited here because when you look at this, this, this thing that turns into the Lord's Supper, it's just not remembering the crucifixion. It's just not remembering the, the, the death of Christ. It's remembering all that Jesus is to us. Do you see what it, Jesus is saying here? He's saying that he is the redeemer, that he is redemption. You know, as they are drinking from the cup of redemption, Christ said to them in verse 28, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. He's holding the cup. And in my mind, I could think him saying, I am what this cup represents. Inside this cup is is the picture of my blood. And without my blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. This is my blood for the redemption of your sins. You know what? I love it. He says, man, I'm giving you a new covenant. There's a new agreement here. See, in the old covenant, he had to take a lamb up to, the, up to the holiest of holies and have a priest pour out its blood on the, on, the merc- on the mercy seat. That no longer has to be done because I am going to be poured out upon the mercy seat. I am shedding my blood for the remission of sins. I am giving my life. See, no longer will mankind have to look to the sacrifice of a lamb to forgive sins but to the Lamb of God. No longer will they look to the priest to go into that holiest of holy places to intercede for the, on behalf of the people, for now they have a personal high priest that goes to the Father directly on their behalf because of what He has done for them. Do you not see this beautiful picture in, in this story of, of the Passover? Jesus is saying to those disciples right there, I am this. I am the Lamb of God. Do you not remember what John the Baptist said when he was out there on the Jordan River and he, and he was preaching repentance and, and, and calling the people to God? One day in John, he saw Jesus coming and he stopped and he said, Behold God's Lamb. That's what Christ is saying in this text. That He is the Redeemer. He is the Lamb of God. He is salvation for people. Do you know what people on the street were so upset? You know what they're upset with? They're upset with the, probably with the name of Jesus that Jesus. they've heard that Christ is exclusively the only way to heaven. That's the kind of stuff they're upset with. See, people want to go to God any way they can. 
And they don't want people to be judged for their sins because we're all sinners and therefore we would all need to be judged. And that is true, is it not? People don't want to admit that God has a way and only one way to come to Him because then they might have to admit that their way to God is wrong. And they would have to repent and turn to God and take His way. You know, the Bible says that in Romans 3, it says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, but we are now justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Man, when we celebrate the, 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 the Lord's Supper, it's just not about Jesus dying on the cross and Jesus burying, being buried and Jesus being risen from the dead. It's about Him being the Redeemer of mankind. It's about Him being the only way that sins can be covered. You know, we sing this, this great hymn in church, I will sing of my Redeemer. Does anybody know that hymn? The words go like this, I will sing of my Redeemer and His wondrous love to me. On the cruel cross He suffered from the curse to set me free. Sing, oh sing of my Redeemer. With His blood He purchased me. On the cross He sealed my pardon, paid the debt, and made me free. Jesus sits before those people that evening in the upper room, His disciples. The ones that He's commissioned to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The ones where he will say, listen, go into the world and make disciples for me. Teach them and baptize them and then teach them to do it all over again. You go out and you will turn the world upside down for me. You know why? Because I am the Redeemer. And he passes that cup to all of them. And he says, I am not going to partake of this again. Until we do it together in, in my Father's kingdom. So you take this. This is my blood of redemption. Beloved, this morning, you want to know who your Savior is? He is the Redeemer. He's just not some guy that we come to, come to church on a Sunday to sing about and to make ourselves feel good. He has bought you from your sins and He has paid the price for you and He's done it through His blood. Baptism will not save a person. Lord's Supper will not save a person. Being a member of a church will not save a person. What saves a person is when we come to Him by faith realizing and accepting that He is the only way. Amen? He is our Redeemer. He is the one that restores us to the Father. And when, the, when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, the Father does not see our sin. He doesn't see our unrighteousness. He will only see the righteousness of His Son. So when we look at this supper, we first see that this new covenant, this new agreement was in His blood. That is what forgives us of our sins. You know, how's he going to do this? He makes another statement in this text that, that we read in verse 29. He says, 
I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until the day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. You know, there are, there are some theologians that think that this means, when he made that statement, that Jesus is saying that he would no longer drink any more wine, fruit of the vine, until the Father's kingdom. You know, that's a possible interpretation. The wonderful thing about theologians, they never agree on anything. So you can, you can read some good commentaries and say, you know what, Jesus means that he's never going to drink wine again until he does it with his disciples again in God's kingdom. Or some other theologians think, well, what he's actually talking about is this Passover supper. That he's not going to take of this Passover supper until he does it again with his disciples in the Father's kingdom. You know what, I kind of lean toward that end. But, you know, they offered him wine twice more before he was crucified, didn't they? As he was carrying, on his way to the crucifixion, they offered him some, some medicinally affected wine that would dull and nullify some of the pain, and Jesus refused that. When he was on the cross, they thought that he was calling out for Elijah. So they said, hey, offer him some mixed wine with some myrrh. And they offered him that. And it says in Matthew, he did not drink of it. So either way you look at it, he refused to drink wine. But the, more, the, the better question is this. What does it mean? Jesus said, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine until the day that I do again in my Father's kingdom. Here's the reality. Jesus was actually getting to, ready to drink of another cup. He would not drink of the fruit of the vine, but he would drink another cup. He had another cup that he had to drink. You know what that cup was? It was the cup of redemption. See, in the garden after the supper, he, he took his disciples out there. And he said, guys, after they prayed a little bit, he said, look, y'all stay here. I'm going to take Peter, James, and John, and I'm going to go pray a little bit, a little bit on our own. And he went and did that, and he went a little further. And he fell on his face, and he prayed, saying, oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Matter of fact, he prayed that prayer twice. He went back to the disciples and found them asleep. He said, what are you doing? He said, that's okay. Peter, James, and John, you stay here. I'm going to go off on my own a little bit, and I'm going to pray again. And the second time, he went and he prayed, and he said, oh, my Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. What cup was he speaking of? You know, the New Testament does speak of a cup that people who do not come to faith in Christ will have to drink. It's a terrible cup. It's a cup that is described in the book of Revelation chapter 14. The Bible says, Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand... He himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. You know what cup Jesus is about ready to take? 
It's the cup that he spoke of when he was there in the Garden of Eden, or Garden of Eden, the Garden of Gethsemane twice. It's the cup of the wrath of God. See, people don't like this story. There's so many so-called Christian people out today that say that, you know, God would have never allowed his son Jesus to suffer for the sins of the world. They call it cosmic baby abuse. You know, it's unthinkable that God would allow his son to suffer and die for other people. But can I tell you, there is no better picture of love than that. It wasn't that God forced his son Jesus to take the cup of the wrath of God. It was the fact that Jesus said, Father, if that is what needs to be done, I will do it. Jesus willingly took himself and allowed himself to be placed on the cross so that he could suffer the wrath of God. There was no force there. Jesus even himself said, Peter, don't take out your sword while we're in the garden there. Don't take your sword out. Don't cut Malchus's ear off. He said, man, if I needed, needed it, I could pray to my father and he would send ten thousands of legions of angels to come down and rescue me. But I don't want to be rescued, Peter, because I know that I need to do this for you. And even though Jesus said, I am not going to drink of this fruit again, there was a cup that he was partaking of on our behalf. And it was the cup of the wrath of God. By taking upon himself the sins of the entire world, Jesus Christ not only made forgiveness possible, but he also made available the protection from God's wrath. And we've been studying the book of Romans for quite some time. And we just finished these verses in Romans 5. But God demonstrates His own love toward us. That in that while we were all still sinners, Christ died for us. He took that cup of the wrath of God. He took that cup of redemption for us. And the Bible goes on to say much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Jesus Christ. And I'm thinking all week long since Thursday about those people who said Jesus gives a negative connotation in their mind, and I'm thinking it's because they don't know who he is. Who is Jesus? He's our redeemer. He's the one that took God's wrath fully upon himself. I mean, Christian, we are getting ready to embark on on Easter next week where we celebrate the resurrection of our Savior. But as we do this, let us prepare ourselves with what Christ actually was and what he actually did for us. Do you know why we're here this morning? We're here... Because this has been done for us. And we're here so that we can be better equipped to go into our world and share that this has been done for you and I. What is our life about? What does our life amount to? Our life amounts to this, that we are to be salt and light to this world. 
that we are to take this picture of redemption and the fact that He took all of God's wrath upon Himself. We are to take that to the world. The world doesn't need better, and, and, I, and, and I know I'll get in trouble with this, but the world doesn't need more social programs and better governments. Because the only way we can have better governments and better social programs and better means of helping people is if we, if we come to faith in Jesus Christ and He turns us into the people that are like Him. What did Jesus do? He fed the hungry. He helped the homeless. Did any of you notice Ricky this morning? He was sleeping right in front of our church. Did you notice him sleeping right there in the corner? When we got here this morning, he was there. Hey, you know how we're going to help people like Ricky? Is by acting like the Christian that God has called us to be. Understanding that he is the redeemer. Understanding that he has taken the full wrath of my sin upon himself. And let me leave you with this closing thought. And I hope you never look at the story of the Lord's Supper again in the same way you used to. It's just not about eating some cracker and remember that he broke his body. It's not just about drinking the juice and remembering that he shed his blood. It is knowing and understanding that he is the Redeemer. That he drank the cup of the wrath of God for me. And then lastly... It is a picture of hope. It is a picture of future hope with our king and his father's kingdom. Look at verse 29. But I say to you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. I imagine when these disciples and that early church would, would participate and celebrate and and. And, and worship with the Lord's Supper in their, in, in their services, that they thought of all these things, that He is the Redeemer, that He took the wrath of God, but He's waiting for us. There's a going to be a time when we are reunited with Christ and we will celebrate this, this Passover again. But not in the sense of, of, of celebrating how God brought the Israelites out of Egypt. We will celebrate in face, in person, and in reality that Christ has brought us out of the bondage of sin that death and hell have no power over us, that we are celebrating in the eternal kingdom with our Savior Jesus Christ. Folks, that is hope. Amen? You know how we can pursue and continue to live for God even when the circumstances of this world drag us down? It's because we can remember what this is all about and know that we live in hope. He says, I won't drink of this fruit of the vine from now on because I have another cup that I'm going to drink. And I'm going to drink the cup of the wrath of God. And I'm going to leave you, but I will not leave you alone. I will leave you with the comforter that is to come. And I will not leave you without hope. And we don't have to go to that text in the Gospels that says, when I leave you, and I, I'm going to go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'm coming back again. We don't need just that verse. We have this text here in the Lord's Supper to remind us 
that we have a future home with our Savior, Jesus Christ. If you are born again this morning, you have a Redeemer, you have the one that's paid for your sins, and you have one who is waiting for you to celebrate with you, and you will see him face to face. This is a promise of his return, of his followers being reunited with him, where they would once again celebrate God's great redemption. Hey folks, next week is not just a a celebration of Jesus is alive, but it's a celebration of Jesus is alive and he's coming back again, amen? And you know what? What we ought to be doing between now and then is be busy telling other people this very same story. You know what? When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, when we come to church and we worship Him in song and fellowship with other believers and listen to the Word of God, it's as if we have one eye on what's going on here and we have one eye on the sky. Hey, folks, that was a dark night, wasn't it? I'm going to die and I'm going to leave you. They're going to watch Their Savior, the one they love, the one that John laid his head into the bosom of Christ. And Jesus even called him the beloved, John the beloved. You know, they're going to watch him being taken away. They're going to watch Judas betray him with a kiss. They're going to watch the Roman soldiers curse him and mock him. They're going to watch the crowd scream out, crucify him, crucify him. They're going to watch a centurion push the spear into the side of Christ. They're going to watch him be put into that tomb and the stone rolled and sealed. And they're going to go into that upper room once again and they're going to be afraid. You know the story? They're going to fear. But Christ is going to come back. And he's going to show them the scars. And he said, don't be afraid. He takes him out towards the Mount of Olives. And he has his disciples there and others around. And as he is leaving, he says, go, go, go tell this story. Go tell the world that what I've done. Go tell them that I've drank the cup of God's wrath. Go tell them that my blood is a new agreement with them. They don't have to sacrifice the blood of animals, but they can come to me and do nothing except repent and have faith in me because I've sacrificed the eternal blood. Amen? I've done that for you. So let me ask you a question this morning. Are you ready? Are you ready for his return? Are you saved this morning? A very good friend of mine recently asked me, what must I do to be born again? And I tell you what Paul told the Philippian prison guard. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Amen. Bow your heads and let us pray together.